the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. In today's episode, we're sharing a presentation from MaxLawCon 2020. Our originally scheduled MaxLawCon speaker, Christopher Nicolason, presented live to the Maximum Lawyer Guild community. And today we share his talk, Seven Life Lessons from Failures to Successes. Let's get to it. So yeah, my name is Chris Nicolason. I'm a partner at Springs Law Group here in Colorado Springs, Colorado. We've been out of out business for about three years, happily married to Gretchen, who I would say runs the firm, um, runs me and Jake, my partner, kind of tells us what to do. And then um, we've got two adult children that are 21 and 23, Sydney and Megan. Sydney's getting married, was supposed to be married in April, getting married in July now. And then Megan is headed off to Louisville Law School in the fall, either in person or virtually, but one way or another, she'll be living out in Louisville in the fall. And so today I'd like to give a talk on, originally it was just going to be solely on, you know, finding your way to success through failing, but decided with a teacher background to, so I have seven lessons that I want to share today. Um, Seven life lessons from failures to success. And hopefully you guys pay attention to each of these lessons because there could be a pop quiz at the end, hot shot. So we want to make sure that everybody's paying attention here. So lesson one for me is kind of the first one is don't let your past define you. And the reality here for me on this one is from where I came from. And so my past growing up, I'm the oldest of four kids. I grew up in a small town in Ohio, which actually took two small towns together of, um, of about 80 kids in my graduating class. And my parents were both blue collar or, you know, I guess even less than blue collar, shades of blue collar workers. My dad worked at a radio shack growing up. My mom worked at a local bar and drank a lot of the profits away. So both my parents are, I I think at the time were functioning alcoholics these days. I don't know how much they're actually functioning anymore. You know, that's kind of where they're at. My mother did not graduate high school. She dropped out at 11th grade. And my dad has a couple years of Votech. And then as the oldest of four, I'm the only one with any, any college at all. And so we grew up poor. And whenever I say we grew up poor, we grew up like really poor. Um, my dad talked to me once where he goes, remember that time that all we had to eat was a bag of chips for the entire week. 
And I literally have no idea what he's talking about, but luckily that's something that's probably a, a good therapist could help me get through or something like that. And so with my parents, it was a lot of alcohol, a lot of drugs, drugs around the kids, things like that. We lived out on a farm, even though we weren't farmers, just so my dad could grow his own weed at the time. And weed was very, very faux pas, I'm like where I'm at now, which is nice and profitable. And then the other interesting thing is too, is we had as the oldest, they had to lay a standard or a setup because I was the oldest and they had to draw certain lines in the sand. And so there was a point whenever I was 17 where my mom, we were standing in the kitchen and my mom looked at me and my dad and she said, hey, it's either him or me that goes. And so my dad looked at me and he goes, so like, you got two weeks to get out. And I was, I think I still had about two weeks of school left. So I finished those up and then I left. So the reality is, is from where I'm at today, I've, I listen to all these motivational speak, speeches where people say, you know, I should not be here today where I am. And, you know, so for me, that's true. I truly should not be where I am today because there's the foundation was never there. And so for those of you out there that might have, you know, kind of grown up in that sense or kind of had those issues in the past too, I don't have that structure in place to really get me to where I'm at today. And so one thing to think about is, is, you know, how'd you get where you are today and, and things like that. And so, and how did you kind of keep pushing forward? What were those things? And we'll talk about that in some other lessons. So lesson one is don't let your past define you. It does not define who you are and it doesn't kind of, you know, and you can make changes to it. So let's talk for a minute now about lesson two. So lesson two is, okay, lesson two is not all advice is good advice. So like I said, is my, my mom didn't have a high school education. And it's one of those interesting things where she, um, she once gave me a piece of advice where she goes, I don't care what you do for a living so long as you're happy. Well, that sounds very nice, but the thing I've learned as a parent myself and after talking to the therapist and other things like that is that has, it's fluff. That's like cotton candy language to our kids and to, to others. So not all advice is good advice because that was advice, but it didn't have any meat to it. It didn't have any traction. And so, so it's one of those things that I've thought about too quite a bit lately is as we're going in through Max Law, as we're talking to mentors, as we're, getting all of these ideas passed back and forth to us, you know, maybe that advice that that person's giving you worked for them at that point in time, but it may not work for you. And so definitely take each piece of advice that you get in your life um, with a grain of salt, because I kept for a long time searching for that one thing that would just make me happy in my career. And, and then that will lead me to prong or to lesson three. Which lesson three is one where it's interesting because having no direction from my, well, what do my kids call us? Sometimes they call us parental units. Um, so having no direction from my parental units, I had to figure out what to do. So I had to do something. So what I did is I fell in love with a girl and chased her all the way across the country. And then I ended up moving to Idaho and I got a job and I got a job in retail. And then after she was done with college, we moved down to Las Vegas, and I kept working in retail. 
and I worked and I waited tables. And my, remember in the bar application when you have to fill out your job history, um, we've all been there and done that. My job history was over five pages long. So I've done, and I've talked to Jim and Tyson about this. I've worked at, within retail, I've worked, um, you know, at Kenneth Cole at Caesars Palace. I've worked at Radio Shack. I've worked at Banana Republic in Vegas or at the Venetian. And fun fact there is Dave uh, from The Killers was my stock guy at the time. And then I was friends with Ronnie, the drummer, who was a rickshaw driver, which is super exciting. But I think that's just it, though. So if you're not given a path, you've got to do something because it's that idea with a lot of type A attorneys where you end up with that analysis by paralysis. So if you're just trying to analyze the perfect thing that's going to make you happy in a career standpoint and you're not doing anything, you've got to get out there and keep trying shit. Um, and so it's one of those things where you do, you've got to go out and you got to try shit. So I tried everything. So when we were in Vegas, we were there for a few years and then we moved to Portland, Oregon and I managed a Mervyn's, which was like Kohl's before Kohl's. And then I moved to Long Island, New York, which, uh, and then managed a Cutter and Buck store out there. And then, and I actually worked at a Wendy's for one day out in Cutter or out in Long Island. And so it's like one of those things where I keep on going and keep trying to find things. All that time I had gotten an undergrad in communications and um, I thought that that was going to be it because I was the first one to get a degree. And I'm like, dude, once I get this bachelor's degree, my life is going to be set. And I ended up working at this at the ABC affiliate in Vegas. And I worked there for about a year and it was hands down the most fun job I ever had where I was the nighttime audio guy, morning camera, I was doing editing, but I was making nine bucks an hour with two kids. And so I had to go back into retail. And so I think you've got to keep going. And then, so what happens then is I, um, I ended up reading Dan Miller's book, 48 Days to the Work You Love. Cause I'm like, that thing's got to be out there, right? It's that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, the, you know, maybe a red herring. I'm not sure what it is, but, um, but the biggest thing is, is I kept searching and trying to find it. So when I was in Vegas doing retail, I ended up substitute teaching for a while. And so I'm like, this has got to be the thing. You know, I enjoyed teaching, um, tried middle school once, not for me. I think kids turn into aliens for that period. And then they come back after high school, sub high school a few times, but primarily elementary was where I felt like my calling was. So did that. And I was like, I got to go get my teaching license. And so ended up um, getting an opportunity to come up to Colorado Springs. My brother-in-law owns a dry cleaner here. I'd read some books about how dry cleaners can withstand any economy. So, oh, what the hell, let's try that too. Did that for about a year because he just gave us a dry cleaner and goes, run it. I'm not really, you know, giving you a lot more than that. Figure it out because that's how I, yeah, I did it. So we did that for about a year. And then I went and managed Pottery Barn. And then we finally got our teaching, um, our teaching uh, licenses. And so I went and taught. And what was interesting is then I did, just like a good future lawyer, did a lot of research on really good teachers. So I looked up like Ron Clark and I'm reading his books and Ray Festwith and, and just trying to get really inspired and jacked by these great teachers and that are just motivating their classes. So I was excited. And then I go in to teach in this poverty um, stricken district out here and find out that it's not about the kids, that it's actually more about the test scores, which is unfortunate and it's tough. And I, cause you foolish me again, as I'm going through doing something, I'm trying to figure out you know, that I should be in this group where there's a bunch of educated people, everybody's got bachelors or masters or what have you. And I'm like, this is going to be awesome. For the first time in my life, I'm going to be around a bunch of, you know, super smart people. Well, it didn't really work out that way. So, so I kept doing something. 
Um, and so the, the reality is, is and the, the question here is, are you willing to do what it takes to succeed and to keep finding that and to get on your path? And then what's interesting then is lesson four actually talks about how the reality is, though, is even though you think you might have found your path, maybe it's not actually the path you should be on. And so you will end up getting knocked down, but you have to get back up. You have to, because you're going to get knocked down over and over and over again. And so what happens then is, is three, no, two years into teaching, Gretchen and I were teaching at the same school. We had just bought a house down here. Life is good. Everything's, you know, going along okay. And then we're both told, hey, you're non-renewed. This is like, I think a month after we had bought and signed on the house and we're like, shit, what are we going to do? So now we've got this like back against the wall moment where I'm like, crap. So we get non-renewed by the principal and then I'm sitting at a stoplight and I just, I lose my shit. Like I just break down and I start crying. I'm like, what the, f like, what are, what's, what are we going to do? And at that time I was 35 and we had friends that were very well off that were doctors, anesthesiologists, you know, orthodontists, endodontists, what have you. And I'm like, okay, maybe I could go that route, but I'm getting a little old and I, I need to be on a faster tra trajectory because my kids were in middle school at the time. And so I'm like, we need to kind of move things. My path has to be a little bit faster. So I'm like, why not law school? And which every normal sane person would think about doing at that point, right? And so I, um, so this, it, so I say, fine, I'm going to do it. I mean, for people that know me, whenever I kind of, when an idea comes and I say I'm going to do it, I'm just full bore, let's go for it. And at the time, so luckily I had a backup job because I was waiting tables at Caravas. And I talked to a friend of mine who was a, he was a writer. He had lived in Russia for a while. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take the LSAT. He's like, yeah, that sounds fun. I'll do it too. I'm like, okay. And so we take the LSAT together. He scores five points higher than me because I'm like, this is the thing I got to do, right? This is it. And he's just doing it for a whim. And I'm like, what the hell? And then, so I end up my first time on my LSAT, I get, I get a 145. And then, as I, then I tell him, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take it again. He's like, yeah, I'll take it again. And so he takes it again with me. And I'm like, ah, shit. And so he does it again. And he scores better again. And I'm like, oh, crap. So I end up going, getting a 145 and 150 on the LSAT. So obviously, my dreams of going to Harvard or Yale were um, squashed right away, and, or even the local uh, university. So I applied to University of Denver, which is about an hour, hour and a half drive um, from where we're at. But, and then I applied to their night program. So the part-time night program. So I'm like, I need to be realistic about getting in, but, and then, and figure it out. And then I applied to a bunch of other smaller schools throughout the country. And the interesting thing is, is my friend actually got into Denver's full-time program and I got rejected. And so I'm looking going, shit, well, that sucks. And there's, you know, so kind of whenever I talk about failures, this whole next part is just going to be a, a nice doozy of getting knocked down and getting back up again. And it, um, so I end up getting into Toledo. And the crazy thing is, is Gretchen looks at me and she's like, there is no way in hell I'm packing the girls up and moving back to Ohio. No way. And so they drive me out there and I go to Toledo for a year. So I leave my wife and kids and then stay here. And the interesting thing about that is, is it, um, Toledo is better than what I remembered as a kid growing up, but it, um, it was hard. I am somebody that I'm an auditory learner. And so I hadn't read that kind of dense, you know, those dense books ever. And I remember like reading cases and I read over and over again and I'm isolated. 
And then I'm out there and I'm just like, shit, I don't know what to do. And so I'm taking the first year classes out there at Denver. And the interesting thing is, is that I get my first grade back as legal writing. And I do well. And I do. And the, the professor asked me, she's like, hey, you know, you've taught. We'd like to have you be the one next year who ends up um, is the TA. So I'm like, great. And then I start getting my grades in from torts and contracts and everything else. And they're like, C's and B's. And I'm like, shit. I'm like, maybe the writing thing was a misnomer. I don't know. But the interesting thing then is I, um, and I told, and I told myself the whole time is I've got to do well enough this first year. My one L, there's a lot of pressure to do well enough to actually get back to Colorado and be able to transfer. And which was the goal, right? So it's how well can I do? So I, I became really good friends with a girl who, um, and we're still friends today. She booked most of the classes that we, that we were in together. And she goes, just study with me, study it all. And so we did. And the interesting thing is, so she had this philosophy like two weeks out before finals. She's like, I'm done reading. She's like, so I'm not going to read anymore. I'm not doing, um, I'm just, I'm going to study for the final and I'm not going to read. And I'm like, okay, I'll follow you because you did well before. And so in contracts, one really like thing that hit home was, as I'm like, I'm not reading, I'm just going to pass. He, it was a large class and he, the professor ends up going row by row, person by person, asking him to, you know, doing the Socratic at that point. You knew your turn was coming. And so I had a friend that I sat next to and I'm like, hey, are you ready for today? He's like, no way in hell. He's like, I'm not ready at all. And he's like, I'm, I went out passing. I'm like, me too, because I'm studying with Sarah and we're not doing that. So he calls me up and he goes, you know, he's way down at the bottom and I'm up a little bit higher. And he's like, and Mr. Nicholas, you ready for the case? And I, he goes, and I'm like, I pass. He's like, you pass, huh? And he goes, I'd like everybody. So we got like 150 people in that class. He goes, I'd like everybody to turn around right now and see what a failure looks like for passing. And that shit like just killed me. But I knew that the end goal though was better. You know, it was the right thing to do because I'm following the path of what my friend was doing. And it's, it's not about him, that failure piece right there, but there's something about it that that still, that shit still hits me. But then I look over at my friend and I'm waiting for him to say pass. And he goes, and Mr. Leonard, you ready? He's like, absolutely, man, I'm ready to go. <laughs> and I'm like, of course you are. You know, and so it was just, it was a, it's a, to me, that's a failure story where you got to get the fuck back up and keep on going. So the interesting thing is that I actually end up doing better. I think I got a C plus first semester. I ended up with a B plus second semester because we did a two semester split on contracts. So failure or not, I still did better in the long run. Oddly, that professor and I are friends on Facebook now and things like that. So, you know, so you get knocked down and you keep getting back up. So what happens then is I end up um, come back to Ohio or to Colorado after my first year and Gretchen and I are like, we got to get into DU. Boulder's too far away and it's too hard to get into. So we got to get in. So I applied to get in and um, I get rejected and I'm like, crap, what am I going to do? Because Gretchen's like, we are not moving to Ohio, man. We're not doing it. And so I was working for a, a gentleman that, at a law firm who's a former lieutenant colonel, and his wife was there, and she's like, well, you want to be a lawyer, don't you? I'm like, sure. And she goes, appeal it. She goes, fight it. So I did. And I went up, and I met with the dean of admissions and got in. And my boss at the time, he was an alumni, and he wrote me a letter, and he says, he's like, you're still the 
you know, he's like, I'm the reason you got in. I'm like, I don't really give a shit why I got in, but I got in. So rejection there and then finally success and from getting back up. So then I go and I, um, I end up through law school. I, I do, I do well enough, you know, C's, uh, C's get degrees, but hopefully I'm making a, a decent amount of money someday. And, uh, and the interesting thing there is, is I know the material, but I'm not the greatest test taker in the world. At least at that point I wasn't. So I take the MPRE, the ethics exam. I consider myself a fairly ethical person and I fail it. And I was like, shit. So I fail that and then I retake it and I pass. So then I graduate and I'm 38 years old um, and I take the bar exam in July and we end up, you know, and I'm doing my study and I'm traveling back and forth, paying all the money for the classes, what have you. And then I end up coming back, you know, we take the bar up in Denver for two days. And then I get my results in, on October 10th, um, which is my daughter's birth, my oldest daughter's birthday. And it, um, it was her 17th birthday that year. And so I'm like, great results are coming and not so great. I failed. And what's interesting in Colorado and Sydney, my oldest daughter, she looks at me that day and she goes, well, that's the worst birthday I ever had because you failed. And I go, well, you know, it was pretty shitty for me too. And so it's like, well, what do you do? You know, but in Colorado, when you get your letter that says you failed, they actually put the word fail in all caps. And I, I got, I still got those because after that, I told myself, I'm going to retake it again, but I'm going to do it differently. And I ended up doing, and when they talk to people about doing 3,000 multiple choice or things like that, um, I ended up doing well over that and ended up crushing it the next time. But what's interesting then too is when you pass the bar exam, they don't put pass in all caps. It's just a nice little word of pass. It's like, you got to celebrate that shit. That should be all caps, not the fail. But so the reality is, is that journey um, taught me a lot of resilience. And, you know, I know that there are plenty of people that book wise, things like that are much, much smarter than I am. But you have to be willing to take the hits um, and get back up. You know, there's a, I'm a sucker for motivational um, videos and talks and things like that. And there's that Rocky speech that he gives to his son where you gotta be able to take the hits and, and keep getting up over and over again. And so, so for me, the question I've got for everybody is when the next day comes, and this is a hit right now for most of us is COVID. Um, are you going to be ready to get back up? Because one thing I was telling Becca even before we got on is, is yeah, the talk may be seven lessons from failures to successes, but after that, um, and even the way I grew up is the reality is, is that COVID ain't got shit on me because there's literally nothing that could happen where I'm like, it's all, it will all work out. Things are hard right now for everybody, but it's, a, it's all going to work. And why? Because I'm going to make it work. I mean, that's just it. So I think you've got to have that mentality. So then let's talk lesson five. Okay. So the reality here is too, is for a lot of us, we're the ones that go through law school. We get the degrees, you know, we can't really relate to people that don't go through that experience or things like that. But for all of us, we just, you can't do it alone. And you have to understand that if you are somebody that thinks for one minute that you can get through this, that you can become successful, that you can kind of crush the competition or do any of those things alone, I think you're insane. And for me, that all started way back in the beginning, almost, you know, a little over 23, probably 25 years ago now. 
when I met my wife. For those of you that know her, I mean, you've got to understand that she is, she's a powerhouse and she's a driving force for somebody who, you know, a guy with parents without a lot of direction um, that really helped provide that. And she's a rock. And you have to constantly, if you have those people that are rocks in your life, you got to tell them. So for me, it's, you know, Gretchen, it's my kids. You know, we are, we've raised two daughters that are, you know, we really want strong, independent women. And most of you, man, if you've met them, they don't put up with a lot of shit because they're actually just a lot like their mom. And then you've got to have the right friends. You know, you've got to situate yourself around the right people. I mean, I remember I'd sit and I'd play fantasy football with way back in the day whenever you'd write it out with uh, waiters that I waited tables with. And this one dude's talking about committing check fraud back then. Everybody's just getting wasted going out bowling. Well, you got to change your friend group sometimes and figure out and put yourself around people that are actually going to lift you up a little bit, such as, you know, the people I'm with here today. And the other thing, too, that you've got to be is if you can't do it alone, it means that there's really no I. For all of us that are business owners and things like that, I think there's an injustice done when a business owner uses the term I or my, my case, my this. Sure, it may be your name on the case and it may be that, but ultimately it's a team of people pushing together to help you get that result and to help that client get that result for whatever area of practice you're practicing. I am a team first, Springs Law Group is pushing forward, Springs Law Group is what's helping you know, because I, just because I'm the guy that shows up at the court to help that person with their custody case or with their injury case, I, it doesn't mean I did everything, not even close. I didn't do shit compared to what the back, back, you know, back staff is doing. And so I think it's really, really important to have some, some perspective on that and understand that it's not just you. You don't, you know, and so I'm a big believer too that good leaders, you know, you don't take the glory, but you definitely take you take the shit and the crap that goes along with being a good leader. So the question too here is, is definitely um, who is your team and how do we celebrate them? And then, so lesson six is one that I learned, you know, I, I have this, like my spidey sense, I guess, is uh, my uncanny ability to let shit go. So the reality is, is uh, I think we have to develop a thick skin, but through my life, um, probably whenever I was in my mid twenties, I could not take constructive criticism for anything from anyone. Um, I'd have my boss at uh, Banana Republic come and tell me, you know, I didn't fold the jeans wall correctly. And I would get so pissed. I would go home and just rant and rave. But then something clicked along the way where, you know, you really do. I think you've got to let things go, you know, and it's, um, I used to have this friend um, back at this amusement park I worked at where her, her favorite saying was, fuck the dumb shit. And the reality is you do, you just have to learn to fuck the dumb shit. You know, I get it as, as attorneys, we want to be able to control every little thing. But I think if you do that, you're going to drive yourself insane. So you got to get rid of negative people, turn off the news, get rid of bad influences in your life. The interesting thing is uh, I, I listened to Kevin Hart's book a while back. And if you haven't, check it out. He's got this, this method that he calls the shrug it method where he basically, as a kid, he was made fun of because of his size, because of how short he is. And he goes, he's like, but I had to ultimately develop this thing. So what I do is somebody's tapping on me about my size. I just go, and then I move on. So I give them a shrug, and that's all I'm giving them. And then, I, then I'm able to move on. And I think in this day and age, you know, with all the stresses and everything else we're going through, we could rack our brains every day about how to be stressed, about every little thing. 
but sometimes you got to let shit go. You know, my wife and kids would tell you, I do, I've got to maybe to a fault of letting things go too much. And, you know, but it's, I think it's helped me in life kind of just remain pretty Zen and pretty relaxed. And then lesson seven, or my, my last lesson is to make sure, I think it's important that we all take time to reflect. And, and what I mean by that is it's super important to, to take time to step back, look at where we've come from and look at where you are today. Because we're so busy looking forward. I don't have X, I don't have this, I'm not where I wanna be yet. That it's super important to step back. And for me, you know, I pull this quote from the, and if everybody's listening right now, the World Series champion manager of the Washington Nationals right now, Davey Martinez said, he goes, I can say this, and this is right after they won the series. He goes, I can say this, often bumpy roads lead to beautiful places. And this is a beautiful place. And it's interesting, we were, um, Gretchen and I went to Hawaii right before the world closed down for John's mas- John Fisher's mastermind. And there were moments whenever we were there where we both just stopped and looked at each other, you know, holy cow, we should not, like we're here. We're like, you've got to enjoy those moments. Like these are like mind movies or snapshots that you got to take and kind of just, uh, I think you have to step back. You know, the, the fact that I think each day that you can wake up and you're not, um, I don't know, not living in my parents' house right now is pretty damn good. And so it's one of those things where I tell you, look at where I've come from. You know, obviously my, it's, everybody's got their own individual perspective, but, and if, I think you've got to have those things in life that kind of push you a little bit and put your back against the wall so you have something to look back on too. And, you know, part of it is, is there's a, there's a good talk by The Rock that he gives to the Lakers where he talks about why he named his company what he did and putting his back against the wall, things like that. But he's like, I never forget the point where I had $7 in my pocket. And that's why my company's named that. He's like, but look at him today. I mean, he should be just set. But he's like, I got to keep remembering that because it makes me appreciate where I am today. And so for me, it's the, um, that's really, I think what we've, you know, it's important as we're all striving, we're all trying to get better. Take a moment to step back and really celebrate and appreciate where you are. And if you don't have the ability to do that yourself, find somebody that will do it for you. You know, we've hired a coach, Melissa Shanahan, who is phenomenally good at making us step back and celebrate our wins. It's so important, you know, each each quarter, she's like, you gotta celebrate your wins too. And she's got that personality where you're just like, shit, she makes me wanna be happier and kind of get balloons and do all these things because it's just, it's a really exciting piece when, and she goes, it is a big deal because even though we're like, we haven't gotten where we want to be yet, but she's like, it's a big deal on what you've done so far. And so I do think it's important there. So not to disappoint Stephen, there won't be a pop quiz, but, um, but the reality is, is that um, those are my seven lessons from failures to success. And I appreciate everybody taking a few minutes to listen. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.